My name is Humble Gray, and I am a Mississippi farmer. Well, I guess all things change, and you have to be open to change sometimes, even if you're a steady man of the plow. I learned that this morning when I ventured into Zeb's barber shop for my monthly trim. Zeb, well, he's been cutting my locks near on 40 years now, and it was his daddy Ephraim who cut them when I was a boy. When as a young man Zeb took his place as assistant barber, he was all fire and fury, wielding his scissors and comb with the brio. It wouldn't take him but three minutes to turn a hippie to a marine, and I dare say a few beatniks had no choice but to hide their heads and join the military once he was through with them. Not that Trouveau ever had a contingent of long hairs, but every once in a while. Anyway, that was then, and this is now, and now old Zeb really is old Zeb. Age and rheumatism, they've slowed him down some. A head that might have taken him ten minutes now occupies close to thirty, and there's been talk that a few of his regulars have begun visiting that new lots of cuts over in Zare County. Not me, though, for I am loyal to the town of Truvo in general, and Zeb in particular. You won't find Farmer Gray canting his trade to some tra- chain shop where you know the coiffures neither by name nor moral fiber. No, sir. No matter how great Zeb's age or how gnarled his fingers, I will continue to occupy his cathedra. Well, now, you remind me. You began with an entreaty to accept change, but now you deny your own thesis. Ah, says I, not so fast, friend, for I have yet to elaborate on the day's events, because what did I see upon ingress through the shop's doors? I espied a second barber, that's right, a new hire, a younger hire, employed for the purpose of taking some of the responsibility off poor Zeb's knotted digits. Fair enough, says you, fair enough, says I. But here, my friends, is the wrinkle, for this was a female barber, a lady, surname Harper, given name Melissa, known to her intimates as Mel and all others as Ma'am, or so Zeb informed me as he made introductions. Comes from the Barber College in Jackson, says he, got a certificate and everything. Well, I, for one, have never been impressed by such frippery. Certificates can be had for a dime, but skill is hard won. And a gal? Color me skeptical, for I wondered how a female could possibly cope with the complex curvature of the male scalp. And considering the fanciful patterns of feminine hairstyles, would she be capable of fashioning the sort of cut, straightforward and with a simple, manly part, favored by Zeb's customers, myself included? So it was that I met Zeb's enthusiasm with grave incertitude. But, as I have stated, I am loyal to the town of Trouveau, and I wish to see it prosper, both spiritually and commercially. Moreover, these are difficult times, and our village's financial future is far from assured. 
Thus, now was not the time to absent myself to Zare County. No, it was time to double down on my commitment to Old Main Street and its waning enterprises. For these reasons, and despite my trepidation, I climbed into the barber's chair and proffered my head, heedless of the tonsorial threat posed by a lady's ministrations. Why, I was even so bold as to test her perceptions, offering no guidance as to length and style and instructing only this. Give me a farmer's cut. A farmer's cut, says she. Yes, ma'am, says I. Just that and nothing more. Well, sir, without another word, she went to work, snipping and combing and wielding the straight razor, betraying not a glimmer of dubiety in pursuit of her task. Think we'll get some rain, says Zeb. Farm report says we'll get some rain. Dunno, says I. Seems like they're wrong as often as right, which is frustrating. Darn frustrating, says Zeb, especially for you, not knowing from one day to the next if your fields are going to fry or drown. It was at that moment that I felt myself blush, and bright red, too, for I'd never realized how close a barber stands to a customer. As the lady tonsorialist clipped away, I became aware that this woman, who was young and not unpretty, was standing uh, chest high, just inches from my manly countenance. The same position Zeb had occupied countless times during our professional association, but which only now did I appreciate. Drowning, yes, says I, keeping my end of the conversation up. Don't want the fields to drown or fry, says Zeb. We're truly at the mercy of the elements here. Mercy, says I, at the same moment that, to put this as delicately as possible, a maidenly element brushed against my cheek. I'll tell you what, though, says Zeb. No finer farmland than here in the Mid-South. You can keep Georgia. You can keep Alabama. Best soil in the world's right beneath our feet. Feet, yes, says I, feeling preternaturally warm breath upon the side of my neck. Did Zeb ever emit such eupnea during his labors on my noggin? I couldn't recall. And how's Elspeth? asked Zeb, and I suddenly snapped to attention in my chair. Elspeth, says I? Yeah, she's still hiding in the cellar from the North Koreans. Oh, uh, yes, says I, and she will not be dissuaded from her anxiety, try as I might. Elspeth, thought I, my own true love, to whom I was bound in troth and had vowed to remain ardent, not just in body but in spirit as well. But how can a man made of flesh behave as stone against soft regard made manifest? How might God adjudge him when the blood decocks and the califaction mounts? How should... You're done, says the lady barber. Eh, says I. You're done, says Zeb. She says you're done. Oh, all right, I responded, my fibrility riven by ice water, and I gazed upon the results of her industry in the oval mirror placed in my hand. My verdict? Well, goodness, Zeb's female hire had fashioned a style as clean and virile as any farmer would be proud to sport at the plow. She had met and then exceeded expectations. 
Acceptable, says she. Acceptable, says I. And I began to feel shame at the stirrings her labors had provoked. Provoked when obviously her sole intent had been to tame my unruly scalp flora in a sober and professional manner. I paid my two sawbucks for the service and added one dollar gratuity. That's right, twice my usual. See you next time, Zeb asked, as he always does. Yes, sir, says I, and then, with a nod to the young lady with the scissors, Ma'am? Oh, says she, you can call me Mel. And that was my Saturday. Yes, indeed. Well, ladies and gentlemen, seems like old Truvo, Mississippi is turning into an ethnic melting pot. Just last Tuesday, a Jewish fella stopped in town. He didn't intend to, but seems his Honda Civic, a, a motor car of Japanese extraction, broke down just as he was passing through. The gent was on his way to Oxford when he found himself stranded on Mississippi 3 North, so he called the AAA and had himself towed into Wright's right friendly service station just off the main thoroughfare. Oh, Morgan Wright, he, he's the proprietor. He took a look under the hood and informed the man that the timing belt had snapped, ricocheted off the cylinder head, and bent a valve. So it would be at least a day before our visitor would be on the road again, and he'd best make himself comfortable. Trouble is, of course, that while Truvo has its share of amenities, the, the grocery, the barber, the ladies' club, and the automobile repair, a hotel is not extant. Uh, folks from outside Truvo don't spend a lot of time here, for we are a serious town unaccustomed to the puerility of a tourist trade. So Morgan called up Reverend Wally of First Baptist to find out if our leader could accommodate this accidental tourist. Well, in a not atypical display of Christian lenity, the good reverend offered to put the fellow up in a back room of the church. Snug quarters with a serviceable cot, it is occasionally used by female congregants in the throes of a so-called cyclical headache. The Jewish gentleman assented to these lodgings, for he'd really no other choice, and took a short walk to our house of worship. There he was warmly greeted by the pastor, who offered a sincere welcome friend and a hearty handshake besides. Thank you, says the stranger, who offered recompense for his night's stay. The reverend demurred, of course, and quoted Leviticus 19. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. Well, the fellow was quite taken with this sentiment and the invitation to join the minister's family for evening repast. And if you might do us a small favor, says Reverend Wally, perhaps you'd be so kind as to attend our Tuesday night Bible study. We were going to discuss Paul's letters to the Corinthians, but perhaps instead you could apprise us of your creed's more ancient doctrine. Well, the Jewish fellow agreed right off, brimming as he was with gratitude for the church's hospitality. And so it came to pass that when we gathered for study, the good reverend introduced us to a special guest, name of Mr. Moisha Gittleman. Seeing as how Mr. Gittleman subscribes to a whole other theology, says Reverend Wally, 
I thought we'd benefit from his insights into Judaic teachings. Is that all right with you, Mr. Gittleman? I'm here to answer any questions you might have, says the gentleman. Splendid, says the minister. And who would like to start us off? Well, Celia Barrow raised a hand, for we comport ourselves with civility in Bible study. Yes, Celia, says the minister. What question do you have for our visitor? Well, sir, says Celia, do you all observe the Sabbath as we do? Oh, yes, says Mr. Gittleman. Of course, we observe it on Saturday rather than Sunday. Oh, says Celia. Early bird gets the worm, I guess. Anyone else, asked Reverend Wally. And Jacob's hunt, and Jacob Hunt's hand went up. Yes, Jacob, says the minister. I was wondering, says Jacob, do you fully immerse or is it just sprinkle dee dee? Fully immerse, asked Mr. Gittleman. When you're baptized, says Jacob, is it full immersion or a non-committal sprinkle of water on the brow? Actually, says the Jewish man, we, we don't practice baptism. Oh, says Jacob, that's a third option I had not considered. Then Marty Lester raised a hand. If I may proffer a query, says he. Yes, Marty, replies the minister. What would you like to know? Well, sir, says Marty. I'd like to know, how long were the nails you drove into Christ's hands and feet? I'm sorry, says Mr. Gittleman. The dimension of the nails, says Marty. I've long been curious, and now that we've got someone who is practically at the cross, culpability-wise at least, Mr. Gittleman, apparently caught off guard by such a sophisticated theistic query, stammered a bit and said, I, uh, I believe it was the Romans who crucified Jesus. Well, technically, says Marty, chuckling a bit, but you can't say they didn't have a little help. I can't, um, I can't really answer that, says our visitor. I don't know anything about nails. Oh, excuse me, says Leona Stickle as her hand shot up. I have a question. Does this one have anything to do with the last question, asks Mr. Gittleman. No, sir, says Leona. All right, then, says he. What would you like to ask? Well, says Leona, do you know if those nails were made of iron or copper? I don't, says the visitor, and your question had a lot to do with the last one. No, it doesn't, says Leona. His question was about length, and mine's about composition. Fair point, says Reverend Wally. Oh, hey, says Myron Tipolo, his arm in ascent. Yes, Myron, says the minister. Comes time for the rapture, asks Myron. Y'all got something up your sleeves? Something up our sleeves, says Mr. Gittleman. Well, yeah, says Myron, i.e., I. are you and your brethren figuring that rather than face the eternal fire, you'll just jew somebody out of their own ascension and take his place? Mr. Gittleman sighed, perhaps wearied by his misadventure with his car, and, and confessed, I honestly don't understand your question. Now, Myron, says Reverend Wally, I'm sure even the Semites know you can't pull the wool over Jesus' eyes. Isn't that right, Mr. Gittleman? I have no intention of pulling the wool over anyone's eyes, says the fellow, rather stiffly, if I'm to judge. 
So what's the contingency, asks Terry Abernathy, who, over-eager, did not put up his hand. Do you all take swimming lessons for the lake of fire or something like that? It's a serious question. No, says the visitor, who had a look in his eye I've seen once before, and a man who had given up hope. We, we don't do that. We don't learn to swim in the lake of fire. Oh, says Terry, well then... "'What all do they teach in Jewish churches?' "'What they teach,' says Mr. Gittleman, "'is how to be a good, God-respecting person in the here and now. "'We don't think a lot about the afterlife. We, "'We think about the present and what God wants for us on earth. "'For this planet and the lives we live on it, "'those are God's most precious gifts.' "'Well, sir, that gave us all pause, "'and in a quiet fell over the Bible study.' And Mr. Gittleman, for his part, he allowed himself a slight smile. When a few moments had passed, another hand went up on, gnarled and spotted with age, for it belonged to our oldest congregant, the venerable Mrs. Frances Cotton, ninety-eight years young. Yes, ma'am, says Mr. Gittleman. I just wanted to ask, says she. I just wanted to ask... Were those nails you drove into Christ real pointy, or were they dull to make it hurt more? The smile left Mr. Gittleman's face, perhaps in contemplation of this exigent query, but instead of responding, he turned on his heel and left the room, and then the church, and then the town, after calling a taxi cab all the way from Oxford. Maybe in an effort to obtain answers for us in that university town, suffused with pedagogy and theologic scholarship, can't rightly say. I just know his Honda Civic hasn't been collected from the service station, despite the passage of nearly a week since his brief sojourn. Seems wasteful to leave a perfectly good automobile behind, even one of foreign make, though I have heard that Jewish people tend to be rich. Still, that may be a stereotype, and I don't hold with those. No, sir. Play me out, Zeke. (laughs) 